Hello guys and happy Monday. I hope you've all had a wonderful weekend and welcome to All About Fertility podcast. I'm Ella, your host. In the last few weeks, I have touched base on other ways of having a family and we've heard from Beck and Leonie's surrogacy story. We looked at other ways of accessing an egg donor. Now today, I'm still keeping it relevant to the fertility journey. However, this is actually supporting the donor program. If you've been following this podcast, then you'll know that my husband and I, we used a sperm donor. Um, And the process is actually really quite strange because you're sitting in front of the computer and you're literally picking out the other half of your future children. Um, And I think we sat in front of the computer with a glass of wine and, you know, we flicked through each of the um, um, applications and looks at baby photos and, you know, read the application. Um, We're given the standard criteria list, such as, you know, height, weight, hair colour, education, eye colour. But what if you can take it further? What if you can match the donor's facial features to that of your partner so your future children will resemble both of you now I don't know about you but I know that I would have loved to have that option and it is possible because the software does exist I'm speaking with Joshua the product owner at Phenomatch a company dedicated to improving the donor selection process for IVF patients Phenomatch assigns donors based on their facial resemblance to the recipients increasing the degree of resemblance between parents and donor assisted children. Now welcome Josh, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me. I would love it if you could just introduce yourself and tell us a bit about Phenomatch. Hello Ella, thank you for that fantastic introduction. Um, So yes I'm the product owner at Phenomatch and what we do is AI facial matching for donors and recipients. So what that means is um, we can take a photograph. Let's imagine we have a heterosexual couple and we're looking for a sperm donor. So we can take a photograph of the man's face and then using artificial intelligence, compare that to the potential donor's faces and find the donor with the greatest facial resemblance. And of course, the objective there is that we can increase the degree of facial resemblance between donor-assisted children and their parents. Now, I just love the technology behind it and how it helps people get closer to having a child that resembles each parent. It adds another layer to the whole selection process. So can you tell us how the software actually works? In terms of the industry standard traits, it's pretty simple because if you're looking for, let's imagine you're looking for a blonde donor, then you have a couple of boxes, you know, like a blonde or brunette or redhead, and then you click the blonde Uh, box and then you can only see the blonde donors and with phenomatch you can do that uh, just like as you can with with the majority of the um, donor matching tools so you can search for things like ethnicity skin tone eye color hair color and hair type body type um, education level uh, hobbies and interests you can search all of that just by filtering and clicking the check boxes the facial matching part Uh, uses AI and it's actually a neural network. What it does is uh, um, you would give your doctor a photograph of your face 
And for the best results, it should be as similar as possible to a passport photograph. So look straight into the camera, relax your face and don't smile. And um, using that, we can build a 3D map. And it actually takes around 12,000 uh, data points to build a map of the face. And then with that information, we can compare it to the potential donors' faces. And because it's done with artificial intelligence, you can do this and still have an anonymous donor. Because I believe anonymity is, is always the case in Australia with mm, donation. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so that's how it works. So how do you know it actually works? Do you test it? Yes, we do testing. Uh, and I personally do some of the testing myself. Uh, last month, and I'm talking about, uh, it's December now, so I'm talking about November 2020. I did a test which involved 600 human faces and I asked and, and there were 600 random human faces and also I included a photograph of my brother and then I asked the algorithm to identify which of those people was most phenotypically similar to me and of course it's able to identify my, it was able to identify my brother very accurately with a very high phenomatch score and very efficiently. And the reason it can do this is because what we're looking for when we're looking for a donor is phenotypic similarity. So the phenotype, this, these are the traits uh, which are visible in your face, which come from your DNA. Mm. So by doing the test, looking for brothers and sisters and identifying members of the same family, we can see that what we're looking for is phenotypic similarity. Now, that's pretty innate and amazing because um, I've seen a few of your um, YouTube videos um, and I've seen a picture of your brother and you actually don't really look alike. So it's pretty amazing that it's actually picked up that you're brothers. Yeah. Um, there's a couple of things that the, the algorithm can do and one of those things is avoiding bias. It is true that me and my brother we don't really look very similar, not, not mm. really. But the algorithm isn't fooled by things like having a beard or being a little bit fatter or thinner because, of course, weight is mm. not something which comes from, from your phenotype. It's something that changes over time. So those are things where a, a doctor might not necessarily spot the phenotypic uh, resemblance, but the algorithm is able to because it's more uh, objective. Mm. Now, you mentioned about heterosexual couples. Um, does it work with same-sex couples? Yes, of course. The heterosexual couple example is the easiest way to explain because you have one mm -hmm. man and one woman, yeah. and it's a little easier to understand. But yes, you can use photographs of men or women, and you can search for photographs of men or women. And the algorithm is still able to get very accurate results, even when you're searching cross-gender. Um, so it works for both egg and sperm donations. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, it, the, the facial matching is uh, really a tool which can be applied in various situations. And yeah, we okay. can do egg or sperm and we can work with heterosexual or homosexual. Yeah. Okay. So in Australia, the sperm donor program is anonymous and we're not actually able to see the pictures of the donors as an adult. So mm. when we were looking for our donor, we could only see them as a child. And I think that's across most uh, clinics 
um, if they are Australian donors. I mean, if they're from the States, then you can see them as an adult. Um, but how does the software actually maintain this? Um, well, this is the same situation that we have in Spain. Uh, donors are anonymous, so patients don't have access to the to the donor that they'll be using. And so... Mm-hmm. The way, the way that we can do this legally and helping to protect donor anonymity is, uh, well, the fact that clinics normally have access to large amounts of medical data on their donors. And some of that information, for example, DNA, is, of course, identifying. And so a photograph of the adult face can be considered the same uh, as medical, don- medical data which is identifying. Mm. And so the clinics can have access to that uh, perfectly legally. That's the case in in Spain and in the UK. Even if it's just for purposes like identifying the donor when the donor makes the donation. And Mm -hmm. so if the clinics can have access to the photographs of adult donors, then they can use it uh, for the phenomatch process without sharing that information with the patient. And so donor anonymity is protected, and yet we can still find the donor with the greatest facial resemblance to the patient. And so what sort of scorings do you see from a donor match? Is it 100%, 99%, 50%? It actually isn't a percentage um, because, of course, there can be no zeros because all humans have, you know, a similar number of eyes and the nose is normally in the middle. So if you get a 0%, it's probably not a human that you're looking at. <laughs> but the scores do go from zero to 100. And mm-hmm. uh, of course, this is one of the problems that we've always, we tend to have when explaining the tool to patients. Mm-hmm. Because what does a patient want? Well, the patient probably wants around 95% or 97%, mm-hmm. you know. But the fact is that um, facial matching, if you get something above 90 you're likely to be looking at two photographs of the same person. Um, Oh, yeah. Yeah. Anything above 80, and there is a fairly strong chance that there is already a genetic connection. For example, me and my brother get a score of around, I believe it was around 85. Um, And you don't really want to be having children with anyone that Mm. looks so similar to you. But yeah, uh, so realistic scores, acceptable scores, anything above 60. And we're talking about a a decent degree of facial resemblance. Now, I'm not sure whether this is a question for yourself or for the clinics. However, once the intended parents have a match, do they get to choose their own match? This depends on the legislation in the country that you're operating in, the degree of choice that that the patient has. Normally, they get some information and are, are allowed some choice. Um, but yeah, that really mm-hmm. depends on the clinic. And also more than the clinic, it depends on the legislation in that region. I only asked because um, I was watching a YouTube video about Finomatch and the specialist, the fertility specialist, said that they choose the matches and only present a small amount of maybe two or three, and then the recipient chooses. Instead of saying, okay, here are your matches and here's a range for you to choose from. This is something uh, which is fairly common in Spain. Mm. The patients really don't get much choice at Mm. all. Uh, 
they might be able to choose the things like maybe hobbies or interests or the education level. Um, but that's how it is in Spain. In the rest of the world, um, clinics are able to use the Phenomatch score for whatever purposes they, they like. And this is actually one of the questions that came up in a talk that I was doing on ethics recently. Um, what should the patient do or what should the doctor do if the, uh, the donor with the highest score for some reason, the patient doesn't want this mm. donor, even though the machine, mm. you know, the algorithm has told them this person is perfect mm. for you. For some reason, they don't want this donor. Well, if that's the case, you should use another donor. Um, al algorithms and AI, for me, I think that the role of the artificial intelligence should be just one tool that the doctor can use, that the patient can use, um, but it's up to the doctor and the patient to make that final decision. That's great that they have that flexibility. Yeah, of course. You know, because a match can look fantastic on screen, but then when you're reading it, I know for us, when we were reading the applications and we read what the donors wrote in their profile, you know, we went with the donor that really wrote a really touching piece to the intended parents and to the future children um, and, and that was that was a no-brainer for us whereas for someone else it could be something completely different yeah of course you know what we do or at least what what we try to do what I hope that we do is um, give the patient more criteria and you know more options and more different ways to choose. For some people, their facial resemblance is the most important thing. And for other people, it's not so much of a priority. Um, one, of the, one, of the, one of the feedback or some of the feedback that we get from clinics, uh, one of the questions we tend to get is, what happens if people don't want a Phenomatch baby? What if they want the Brad Pitt baby or the Angelina Jolie baby? Then we say, okay, then mm -hmm. not everyone wants to use our tool and that's not a problem. So, okay, so the clinic has a choice whether to turn it off and on for a particular... Yeah, that's um, right. Okay. So how many p clinics are using your software um, and does the clinic need a large donor database for the software to actually work? Mm, we work with around 100 clinics, uh, most of which are in Europe, but we are currently mm -hmm. operating in also Asia and Russia and Southern America, including Argentina, Peru, and yeah. Brazil. Wow. So we are operating internationally. We are not in Australia yet, but uh, there might be some news Hopefully on that soon. front fairly soon. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Hopefully things. Yeah. Does the clinic need a large database for the software to perform at capacity? Because there is a shortage of donors across Australia. Now, suppose a clinic doesn't have up to 600 faces in the database and it's half or even less. Yeah. Um, of course, uh, the, the facial matching, you can do it with just one person, just one potential donor, if you're interested in knowing the score. So it's not necessary to have a huge donor database in order to get, um, in order to use Phenomatch. Of course, like all artificial intelligence, the more data you have, the better the results are going to be. And actually, one of the other things that Phenomatch, uh, as a company, one of the other things we're trying to do is to increase connectivity 
between different donor banks and different clinics. So by standardizing the connection and the search criteria, we are actually able now to connect various clinics with various different banks, which increases the number of potential donors available. And that's something which really, uh, as, as you know, of course, as, uh, the more choice you have, the better it is for the patient. Mm, yeah, definitely. And how can clinics access FinoMatch? Uh, so because everything is online these days, it's really simple. If a clinic wants access to Phenomatch, we can connect to them, to their donor database in about 12 hours. The best way, if you're a, if you're a clinic listening to this, is to go to phenomatch.com, and that's Phenomatch with an F because we're a Spanish company, and uh, contact us through there. That's really super fast. Then I will have your details in the show notes. So if there's any clinics out there listening who are interested in learning more um, or you're perhaps um, someone who is going to use a donor and keen to understand more and perhaps want to ask your clinic about it if you're in a country where Finomatch is. Um, either way, please reach out and have that conversation with Josh. Um, you know, we see technology evolving with IVF all the time and someone will pioneer a protocol a tool for you know to make the process more successful I'm just glad that you've created something that pushes the envelope for the donor program which will help intended parents with more choice yeah that's right um the matches that we get are only going to be as good as the donors that are in the databases so I'm not sure. I'm, uh, well, I, I'm quite sure that we probably have the same problems uh, because in terms of donor recruitment mm, uh, exactly. in Spain and in the UK and I'm sure all around the world. Mm. Um, so hopefully the way that we can connect uh, clinics and banks together is goes some way to help with that problem. Mm, yeah, definitely. Um, and how many people have you helped? Do you know? I do know. Yes, I'm always uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm always keeping track of this kind of information. Since 2018, uh, I believe around 7,500 families, uh, more or less, have used the Phenomatch technology to to get started. And that's something that I'm very proud of. And so you should be proud. That's amazing. Now, we know that the technology works and you have happy families. And I know that there's going to be a lot more to come. Josh, you're doing such a great job and thank you for spending the time telling us more about Phenomatch. Now, I wish you much success and I really hope that more IVF companies see the benefit of this software. And I hope Australia and New Zealand jumps on board and embraces the technology as an to their donor programs. Thank you very much for your time, Ella. And please do put my email address in the in the podcast info because I'd love to absolutely love to hear from Australia. Excellent, will do. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Bye.